Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 21. Jesus returned to Galilee and news about him spread through the whole One praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Well, it's such a privilege to have Dr. Krish Kandaya with us today on Pentecost Sunday. If you don't know Krish, I don't know where you've been um, because he's just done so many amazing and wonderful things. So um, he's worked for UCCF, the Christian Unions Movement. Um, he's worked for the Evangelical Alliance. He's worked for London School of Theology. Uh, he founded Home for Good, um, which is also the title of an excellent book, um, all about uh, fostering and adoption. Um, and now, I may get this wrong, but he is uh, he's in charge, uh, he works for the Department of Education in a role where he is championing adoption and fostering. Um, amazing role that he's got there. So we're really excited to have him um, to come and share with us to speak about Pentecost. Um, he's also, I should say, spoken in the Googleplex, which I think is pretty cool. Uh, maybe he'll say a little bit more about that in a minute, but could we just give him a massive warm welcome as he comes up to preach? Thank you, Howard. Thank you, Howard. What a great introduction. It's very kind of you. It's very nice to be with you. I feel very at home, actually. I've never been to speak here before. Um, but I love the fact that you're such an international congregation. My mother was born in India. My father was born in Malaysia. My father's father was born in Sri Lanka. And my mother's father was born in Ireland. So I'm kind of confused when it comes to the Olympic Games, rugby matches, cricket matches. Who am I supposed to cheer for? I'm all mixed up. But uh, being an international person means you don't quite fit in anywhere, but you're also nearly at home everywhere. That's how it works out for me. I became a Christian because of Pentecost. And I'm thinking back to being a 15-year-old in Brighton. I went to an all-boys comprehensive school, and uh, it was a very rough place. Our teacher used to like to nip out to have a quick smoke, leaving 30 teenage boys in charge of a chemistry lab. This was a very bad idea, and if you're watching at home, please don't try this at school. Um, but while she nipped out, kids used to try to suck the gas out of the gas taps 
and then light it on their breath so they could do fire breathing. This was a terrible idea. One lad, Nicky Leonard, he had all his cheeks full of gas. And as a, a, a kind of want-to-be uh, chemist, I, I challenged Nicky to put a lighted match in his ear uh, to see what would happen. Nothing terrible happened. He singed his ear, but no explosions took place. So in the middle of this chemistry lab, one morning, a lad came to the front of the class and asked the teacher if he could make an announcement. And uh, the teacher thought this was a good idea, nipped out to have the smoke, leaving this 15-year-old in charge of class. And uh, this boy said, look, lad, something amazing happened to me last night. Last night, I became a friend of God. And you too can become a friend of God through what Jesus did on the cross. If you want to know anything more about this, come and see me at the end of class. And uh, I went straight to him and basically told him off. I said, look, I've been secretly going to church since I was a young lad. I, I go to the Salvation Army. And, and, and you need to know, because you're only one day old as a Christian, that this Christianity thing is a very private thing between you and God. You're not supposed to tell anyone about it. No one at my church tells anyone about going uh, to church. It's a secret society. And he turned to me and said, Chris, if you knew the God that I met last night, you wouldn't be able to be silent about it. Jesus has changed my life already. I want the world to know about it. I noticed in this boy that he'd had an encounter with God that I didn't know about. I'd had churchianity, but he had a living relationship with Jesus. The Holy Spirit was at work in this boy, even though he was less than 24 hours old as a Christian, and I wanted it. And so he helped me come to a fuller relationship with Jesus, not just turning up at church, but knowing the living God, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and minds, transforming our lives. And you'll know, because Howard shared with us, didn't he, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus' intention for his church that we wouldn't be silent. We wouldn't be quiet about our faith. The Spirit gives us the power, the confidence, the courage to share the gospel. And between that first Pentecost Sunday and that lad in my class at school, there's an unbroken chain, isn't there, of people sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus, across the nations and across the generations. It, it was like a TV show I used to like watching as a lad called Record Breakers. You all look too young to know this show. But there was a TV show dedicated to the Guinness Book of World Records. And uh, it was hosted by a guy called Roy Castle, who was actually a Christian. And uh, he used to play his trumpet at the beginning of the show and uh, tell you about dedication. That's what it takes if you want to be the best. And I don't know why, but every week, it seems, they were trying to break one particular world record. That was the world domino toppling record. Uh, do you know about this? Someone spends like four months of their life setting up a room with maybe 100,000 dominoes all next to each other. Uh, and then some kind of B-list celebrity would be asked to press the first domino. And then this, the momentum would spread from that one domino falling so that every domino in the room was going to fall. Oh, thank you very much. That's good. I'll, shall I try this one instead? Every domino was going to fall. And there'd be the red domino, which would be the world record-breaking domino. If that one fell over, that meant they broke the world record. And normally, I don't know why... That, that like three before they got to the world record-breaking domino, one would wobble but refuse to fall over. And, uh, you know, the, the, every kid in the nation was like 
depressed at that moment that the world record wasn't broken. And, and then Roy Castle would step up and he'd say, it's all right, kids. Dedication. That's what it will take. And, and, and someone else around the world would start setting up dominoes to try and break, up, break the world record again. My fear was, as a Christian, that I would be that domino that refused to fall over. I wouldn't play my part in God's global plan to let everyone know about the grace of Jesus. We know that through the generations, men and women have faithfully, courageously passed on the gospel at great cost. Many of those first Christians that Jesus told to spread the gospel ended up dead for their faith, didn't they? Or maybe in prison like John. Uh, maybe crucified upside down like Peter. Sawn in two, some of them were. I was nervous that I wouldn't play my part. That I would wobble. And refuse to pass on the incredible grace that God has shown me. But through that lad in my class, I was inspired that I had a part to play. And that the Holy Spirit could use even me, this kind of messed up kid... The only brown kid in a class of white children in a dodgy, comprehensive school in Brighton. Good God, use me. And it's been my experience through many decades now that the Spirit is able to use all sorts of people. The people that, like me, might have written ourselves out of the equation. Think it's impossible. God uses legends and heroes like Paul and Peter. He can't use ordinary people. But the wonderful thing about Pentecost is God can use any of us to be a part of his mission. Now, I want to talk about the first domino that kind of got pushed. It, it wasn't a B-list celebrity. It wasn't even in the book of Acts where stuff gets started. The book of Acts is the outworking of what someone else started. If you read the first um, verse of the book of Acts, it says this, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote to you about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. So the book of Acts is part two to the book of Luke, which tells us what Jesus was doing in his mission. And Luke chapter four, which we just had read to us on the screen, is where we need to go if we're going to understand what Pentecost was for. Because the first person that kicked this whole thing off was God the Father sending Jesus into the world. So if you've got a Bible, please open it up at Luke chapter four. And I want to dig into this because I think understanding Jesus' relationship with the Holy Spirit, what he was sent into the world to do, will help us understand how Pentecost can change our lives today. All right, let's have a look at Luke chapter 4. And I want to just make a side comment at Luke chapter 4 verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Now today, because it's Pentecost Sunday, we're more attuned to the work of the Spirit. We, we notice when the Spirit turns up in all those beautiful songs we just uh, sang together. But here, the Holy Spirit, what's he doing? He's filling Jesus up. So there's an intimate relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And he's sending Jesus. Where is the Holy Spirit sending Jesus into the wilderness, into a time of great temptation, into some really tough times. We need to be aware the Holy Spirit is not some kind of, I suppose, um, rocket booster for our own ambition. 
Sometimes we think the Holy Spirit's job is just to make us all feel nice, feel better about ourselves. But the Holy Spirit sends Jesus, the Son of God, into conflict with the devil in the desert where he doesn't eat for 40 days. So if, if the Holy Spirit can send Jesus into some difficult places, he might be sending us into some difficult places. We need to be nervous about a therapeutic approach to the Holy Spirit that he's just there to massage our egos and make us feel better. That's not his role. The Holy Spirit sends Jesus and the church to fulfill God's mission. And sometimes that can be very, very tough. Have a look at Luke chapter 4, verse 14. Jesus completely wins his encounter with the, Holy, with the, the devil because of the power of the Spirit and the word of God. And in John 4, 14, it says this, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Hey, I'm in Westminster Chapel, which is very exciting. I grew up reading the sermons of, of one of your most famous ministers, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who used to be called just The Doctor, which my kids thought was cool because they thought we were talking about Doctor Who. But Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, fantastic preacher, and, and um, he, I don't know if he was always like, in favour of a three-point sermon, but I'm going to give you a three-point sermon. Uh, so uh, apologies to the great doctor. Um, three points I want to make. Firstly, could you give me my first slide point? You got it. The Spirit unites us to the person and mission of Jesus. The same Spirit that was anointing Jesus, Jesus says we were to wait for that spirit to come on the day of Pentecost. And now we live the opposite side of the day of Pentecost. So that same spirit is alive and at work here in the church. There is an absolute connectivity between who the spirit is and who Jesus sends us to be in the world. One of the ways that's really nicely put is the way that John's gospel describes Pentecost. Um, John only did one book um, that tells the story of Jesus. He, he wrote other books where he had revelations from God and he wrote letters to the churches. But he didn't, like Luke, get to write a second volume about the work of the church. And when John describes Pentecost, it's in John chapter 20, it says that um, Jesus came to a room full of disciples who were locked in for fear. They were nervous that the same barbarian Roman soldiers who had brutalized Jesus would come after them and so they were locked in for fear it's interesting we've been talking a lot about lockdown haven't we and I think it's entirely appropriate that churches have stopped our services to keep people safe that's right but to be honest I think the church has been in lockdown before there was a coronavirus I think we've had a spirit of fear in terms of how we engage with the world. 
Let me give you a silly example. I'm slightly addicted to books. I, I don't know if that's true for you. Uh, we moved house recently, and most of the removal was moving books. Like, we didn't have that much furniture, but we had loads of books. And when I go to bookshops and festivals, um, I, you know, I, I'm kind of like a moth drawn to the flame. But before you can get to the books at your average bookshop or at your average festival, you have to go past what I can only describe as Christian tat. Do, do, do you know what I mean? That, that, did you know there are Christian socks out there? And you go, what could be possibly Christian about a pair of socks? You know, are they holier than other socks? Are they good for healing your soul? You know, what, 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 what's going on? Um, it, it, there, there was also once a something called Praise Hero. Have you heard of this? It was, there, was a, there was a secular um, video game called Guitar Hero back in the day. There were like five buttons and you had to follow along with Black Sabbath or you know, Led Zeppelin or something. And Christians thought, oh, 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 we need to create a kind of Christian version of that called Praise Hero. And uh, can you guess the difference? Yeah, it was all worship songs and there were only three buttons. Um, sorry, that's an insider joke about there only being three chords in Christian worship music. It's not actually true anymore. These guys demonstrated that was uh, not true. But the idea was that you couldn't really touch the dangerous world out there. You need to be protected from it by Christian socks and Christian video games. Because we want to lock ourselves in. But when Jesus turns up in John's Gospel, he speaks peace on his disciples and then he commissions them. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Do you see how John's helping us understand Pentecost? The breath of Jesus, the kiss of life into a frightened, locked down church, explodes the church into a force for good in the world. The missiologist, um, Leslie Newbegin, described the church as an explosion of joy in the world. We're not supposed to be locked in. Even in lockdown, sometimes the church has shone so brightly, hasn't it? I love the fact that you've run a fantastic food bank and you've served hundreds, maybe thousands of people in this community because of the love of God. The same spirit that drove Jesus into the world drives you and me to join with him in that mission. There's an inextricable link between receiving the spirit of Jesus and being sent into the world on the mission of Jesus. Those two things are connected. So, point one, the spirit unites us to the person and mission of Jesus. This is the breath of life, the kiss of life. And maybe you know that you need it this morning. You realize that your, your own walk with God isn't what you thought it might be. Maybe you're feeling locked in and you need the spirit to explode you out into the world to be a force for good that you can be a confident christian living and loving for jesus second point the spirit drives us to the scriptures and the scriptures drive us to jesus did you notice in luke chapter 4 the disciples sorry jesus has turned up at the synagogue and he, he's handed the scroll. It's Isaiah 61. A prophecy from hundreds of years ago that promises there will be an anointed one. Now the anointed one is an interesting idea. Back in the Old Testament, a king 
uh, like Saul or David, would have oil poured on their head, symbolizing the presence of the Holy Spirit with their reign. And that word, to have the oil poured on your head in a kingly way, it was the word anointing. And it's, it's where we get the word Messiah from. The Messiah means the anointed one. Um, the anointing kind of was like a, a coronation ceremony to mark out who were going to be the kings. But Jesus was not just anointed with oil. He was anointed by the actual presence of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus, empowered by the Spirit, has defeated the devil in that, that fight in the wilderness. How did Jesus defeat the devil? He quotes scripture at him. The devil's been quoting all sorts of scriptures out of context, but Jesus, hitting with the flow of what the, 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 the purpose of scripture is, the context of scripture, defeats the devil using the scriptures. And now, here he is, explaining to the world, this is Jesus's kind of inauguration moment. This is his speech. If he was prime minister, this would be his speech on the steps of Downing Street, declaring what he's about and what he's for. And what does Jesus want to tell you? He wants to say, I've come to fulfill the scriptures. Now, in different traditions of the church, there seems to be some fight between the spirit and the scriptures. We used to live in Albania. We were missionaries there for... Um, uh, three years just after university and uh, there were there were no churches in Albania uh, for many years because communism completely wiped out um, religion in that country it was illegal to have a beard I'm growing a beard just to protest what was possible or not possible under uh, Albanian rule um, and you couldn't name your son John because it was a religious name so religion was completely obliterated and then the church came uh, with missionaries to Albania. It was beautiful, amazing. Lots of people came to faith. And there was a Baptist church planted. Many churches, but there was a Baptist church planted. It was called the First Baptist Church because they were the first Baptist church in Albania. But then there was an internal fight in the Baptist church because it was felt that Baptist church really didn't do the spirit well enough. So the spirit Baptist church was the break-off from the First Baptist church. But then within a few months... There was a break off from the Spirit Baptist Church to the Word and Spirit Baptist Church because it was felt that the Spirit Baptist Church didn't really do the Word well enough. Do you see what's going on? Before long, there were 11 different Baptist churches in one town in Albania who had all fallen out with each other. And often Christians fall out on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. That's ridiculous. The Spirit has come to bring unity. Howard said it, didn't he? That God sends his spirit on us without distinction. Old and young, rich and poor, Baptists and non-Baptists, the spirit is there to unite us. But one of the ways we fall out is over the attention to the word or the attention to the spirit. We're either a Bible preaching church or a spirit-filled you know, manifestation church. Jesus doesn't allow us to divide those two things up. We must be both word and spirit. If you believe in the work of the Holy Spirit, you're going to believe in the power of the scriptures. What did Paul say in 2 Timothy 3.16? All scripture is God-breathed. That word breathed is pneumos. Yeah, it's the same word for the spirit. The spirit of God is alive in the scriptures. And so if, you, if you're someone who feels you're Pentecostal, open to the work of the spirit, it should make you hungry for the Bible. 
And if you're hungry for the Bible, if you're a word Christian, then you must be open to the work of the Spirit. Those two things are absolutely connected. Because the Spirit breathed out the Bible in the first place. And he gives us confidence to understand it and allow our lives to be shaped by God's purposes. That happened to me in that chemistry lab. That when I came to faith, I was so hungry for the Bible. I just read every page. I had a good news Bible that had sat dusty in a drawer until I came to faith. And then I got a marker pen. And it was weird. I, I kind of underlined all the good bits. And then I realized I'd underlined the whole Bible. There was nothing left. Because the Spirit speaking through every single word of Scripture. It's got useful things for us to equip us for every good deed that God's calling us to. All right, third point, last point. The Spirit sends us to the poor, the prisoner, the blind, and the oppressed. Did you see that from Jesus? Jesus says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news. To whom? To the poor. Recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Now you might sense there's a contradiction here. I just told you that the Spirit of God unites us. That thanks to the work of the Spirit, there's, there's kind of no hierarchy in the kingdom of God. The Spirit is poured out on all flesh. You might be a brand new Christian. Well, you're as included in the family as someone who's been a Christian for decades. You might be incredibly wealthy or famous. Well, the Bible says, you know, you're just part of the one body through the spirit that God has given us to drink. You might be a hand, you might be an eye. None of the parts of the body can say one part is more important than the other because the spirit makes us one. And yet, Jesus here tells us he prioritizes the poor in his work. Why is that? Does God love the poor more than everybody else? He can't. The most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Every single human being on this planet is loved by God. Whether they're old or young, black or white, abled or disabled, gay or straight, Christian or Muslim, God loves the world. The world has not responded necessarily to God's love appropriately, because heart for the whole world is one of love. So why does it say here that Jesus has come to preach good news to the poor? Why are they his priority? I want you to imagine the scene. You, you come across a, a, an accident. Uh, let's say, just down the road, uh, Boris Johnson was in his car as Prime Minister and he's knocked over a homeless person. And Boris has got a minor cut to his eyebrow and the homeless person has severed an artery and is bleeding out in the gutter. Now come the paramedics. Who should the paramedics see to first? The person with the power and the wealth or the homeless guy? How, how will they decide? Well, most paramedics in those circumstances should care for the person who's in most need, who's most vulnerable. Never mind about how powerful they are, who's most vulnerable. They get prioritized. It's a triaging system, isn't it? As God looks at the world, he triages. Who is most vulnerable? Who is in most need of my care and attention? And God says, it's the poor. It's the marginalized. It's the oppressed. It's the voiceless. Over and over in scripture, and read it, just do a little Google search. 
See how many times God says, I want you to pay particular attention to the orphan, the widow, and the stranger. Not because they're more important, but because they're more vulnerable. And God says, I am a father to the fatherless and a protector of widows and orphans. Why? Because no one else will speak up for them. And you see it in Jesus' own ministry in Luke's gospel, don't you? That he's always making room for the marginalized, the, the, the excluded, the people that nobody else wants time for. And as Christians, if you're being led by the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that was on Jesus here, your life will be led to care for the vulnerable. Think about it. In James 1.27, we're told religion that God our Father accepts as pure and blameless is to care for the widow and the orphan in their distress. Prioritize the vulnerable. Jesus says it in Matthew 25. He says, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. The Spirit of God will drive you to pursue justice and mercy and compassion for those that are most vulnerable. What does that look like? Well, the Spirit has been leading my life. And, you know, I was there in, in this chemistry lab. And I had no idea that I'd end up doing the stuff that I'm doing today. But it's just been opening doors all over the shop. And, and I'm, I'm way, I'm operating way beyond my ability and pay scale and, and competence. But it just keeps opening doors. And, and I'm doing this job for the government, not because I'm particularly good at it, but just I've been following the footsteps that the Spirit has kind of opened up. And he's opened up an opportunity to serve kids who have had to come into foster care because there's been abuse or neglect in their families. And these kids, if they, if they grow up without knowing the love of a secure family background, chances are they're going to age out of foster care and they're going to be overrepresented, as is statistically true, amongst the homeless population, amongst the criminal population, and amongst those who have been exploited. And so I'm thinking, okay, God said care for the widow and the orphan. What, what, what could that look like? Well, could it be trying to help find homes for vulnerable children? Could that be a way that we could serve God and kind of slipstream what the Spirit's been doing? And it's been amazing. In your own church, you have an amazing family that are showing that mercy and compassion to a child that otherwise wouldn't know a loving family. It's been great to hear Mike and Becky's story of adoption that's just one story, but across the nation, Christians are thinking, here's a way that I can be led by the Spirit to those that are most needy. Here's a way I can do that. The same thing's happening with the stuff that you're doing with food bank. Why, why are you trying to feed people? It's because the Spirit of God drives you to walk in the footsteps of Jesus towards those that are vulnerable and are needy. It might be this morning that you're at a crossroads. A lot of our nation is in terms of career. I would love it if part of Pentecost Sunday was you feeling called to redirect your career towards those that are vulnerable. And actually you can do that in almost any job that you've got. Whether you're in banking or in business, whether you're currently about to study at university, how can you orientate your life so that you can be a voice for the voiceless? You could welcome those that others would exclude. 
There's a real need right now for people to enter politics to speak up for vulnerable people. The kind of winds of change in our uh, political climate means that we're about to pull up the drawbridge and make it very difficult for anyone to claim asylum in the United Kingdom. What would it be if Christians were to enter political life, not for their own kind of ego or brand, but to be able to put forward the needs of the vulnerable? All sorts of different ways we can respond. One last point, and then I'll call us to a time of prayer. Tuesday night is the one-year anniversary since the death of George Floyd. Do you remember that horrific video that went viral of a white police officer kneeling on the neck of a black man as he begged for his life, asked for his mother, and then he died in front of a watching world on social media? That event triggered something around the world so that people right across, you know, from... from Minneapolis down to Melbourne were on the streets speaking up about racial justice. We believe that the Spirit of God fell on all flesh. White and black, young and old. In Jerusalem that day there were Jewish people from all four corners of the world. And they were coming together and God was helping those apostles to speak the gospel in the mother tongue of those nations. Because this was a taste of what's to come. We believe that one day every tribe and tongue will be gathered around the throne of Jesus. And they will proclaim him Lord and worthy. And the lamb upon the throne. That's what we're headed towards. And there won't be a kind of white section and a black section and an Asian section. Every nation will be gathered together. Because the spirit of God comes on all flesh without distinction. I believe the church needs to be at the lead edge of the pursuit of racial justice. We don't have to buy into the whole political um, package that's there, but we need to stick to our calling, which is to demonstrate the love of God breaks all boundaries. So I wonder even on Pentecost Sunday whether God might be calling you to take a step of pursuing racial justice where you are. I've got an event on Tuesday night. You can join me. It's a free event where we're going to be thinking through some very practical ways that you can get involved in pursuing racial justice. And just type into Google the road to racial justice and there's a free event page where you can find out more. Let's invite the band up as we turn to a little response. We've talked about the Spirit of God connecting us with the person and mission of Jesus. We talked about the Spirit of God making the Scriptures come alive to us. And we talked about the Spirit of God uniting us with God's pursuit of the poor and prioritizing the needs of the vulnerable. What is it that the Spirit of God might be saying to you today as you respond to him? If you're able to stand, why don't you stand? Or if you're at home, you might just want to put, put your hand out as a sign to say that you want to hear from God. Let's make ourselves open to him as we pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for sending Jesus into the world. Thank you that he was full of the Spirit and therefore he defeated the devil and he was drawn to that passage in Isaiah 61. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that the Spirit of the Lord God was on you and he anointed you to preach good news to the poor. He sent you to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of 
of the Lord's favor. And this morning, we just say to you, Lord God, would you fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit, that we too would be part of your mission in the world, that you would send us, whether it's across the road or across our office or across the world, to serve those that need us. Some of us here this morning, Lord, you're calling us to a new direction in our work. Lord, here we are. The Spirit of God's not just for Sundays. It's there for Monday morning too. Lord, some of us here are thinking about our families and wondering whether there's room in our family to accept a child that needs a loving home, that they might experience your grace and comfort through a new family wrapping around them. And some of us here actually feel very far away from you. And we need that kiss of life of your spirit, that you'd break us out of cold hearts and locked doors and help us to be your agents, your body in the world today. Lord, whatever you want to do amongst us, whether at home or in this room, Lord, would your spirit come now, speak life, breathe life into our hearts and souls that we would be your agents in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to Sermon Audio from Westminster Chapel. If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.